morning. Uh, my name is Mike Ford, <clears throat> and uh, Brent's out of town, I'm glad to be with you all. And as a church, you're going through a, a short series on the book of Colossians, and so we're in chapter 3, and uh, verses 1 through 17. It is a long, but a very rich uh, scripture passage, and honestly, I thought about just reading it five times slowly, letting God do his thing in you, and then praying, but uh, we're going to talk about it. Um, and so, if you will stand as we read it, and... God's name, Jesus Christ Lord, is mentioned almost 20 times in this passage, in 17 verses. So as we talk this morning about maturity as Christians, I want you to ask yourself as you're reading it, how does Jesus fit in with my maturity? Where is Jesus in my maturity? Hear now the good news of a God who invites you to maturity in him. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Now in these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self and its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, <clears throat> meaning in the church, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. <clears throat> oh, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is God's word. It's true. It's good, it's beautiful, it's given to you in love. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, you can be seated. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for this rich, unbelievable passage. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open our hearts and minds to receive and hear from you this morning. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so I grew up in St. Louis, and I'm a hockey fan, St. Louis Blues. Let's go Blues. And they just won the first round of the playoffs against the Minnesota Wild. And because my kids watch hockey when I watch hockey, uh, they love hockey too. And so we watched the movie Miracle on Ice recently. Now, it's about the 1980 USA Olympic team filled with college and amateur athletes who defeated the USSR, the most dominant team in the world, to win the gold medal. It's an awesome movie. But at, in the beginning of the movie, as the USA team comes together, there's bad blood, okay? Some guys play for Minnesota. Some play for Boston. Uh, they're rivals in the collegiate hockey world. And there's factions, and they're not really playing as a unified team. The head coach is Herb Brooks, Kurt Russell. 
And in the beginning, he had this ritual where he asked a player, hey, what's your name? And he would say it, and then he goes, who do you play for? And the player would go, I play for Minnesota. I play for Boston. I play for Massachusetts. Well, a little bit later in the movie, there's an exhibition match against, I think it was Finland. I don't remember, a Norwegian team. And they are the tied or lost. They played terribly. And in the middle of the game, the college boys, as they are, were commenting the Finnish females in the stands and not focusing on the game. And so afterwards, as uh, the fans are leaving, Kurt Russell says, get on the ice. And he makes them do suicides, sprinting up and down for hours. And every time they came back to the line, he would say, again, again. And then finally, the captain yells, Michael Rosioni, I went to Massachusetts. And Kurt Russell goes, as he stares at him for like five seconds, you know, who do you play for? And he says, United States of America. And then Kurt Russell goes, that will be all, gentlemen, and walked off the ice. Now look, that movie's awesome, okay? But here's what the head coach knew. He knew the only way this team would grow and mature as a team is if they realized they had to put off their old jerseys and put on their new jerseys, right? Put off the teams they were playing for and put on the USA, that's the only way they were going to mature. And Paul knows that too. In fact, this is what he says in Colossians 1.28. We proclaim Jesus, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And Paul goes, if you want to mature in Christ, the way you do it is you've got to put off the old self and put on the new self. You've got to put off your sin and put on Christ. And every you, Y-O-U, in our passage is plural, meaning... Maturity is not just an individual effort, but it's a collective endeavor by a community where you go, hey, I don't play for myself anymore. I'm on God's team to keep the metaphor going. I'm wearing his jersey. We all are, and it's Christ. And so this invitation to maturity has two aspects to it, that there is this promise of your maturity, and there's a pattern to maturity. There's a promise and a pattern. First, the promise of maturity is this, uh, God has you. God has you. You will not grow and mature as a Christian if you do not believe that God has you, that you are safe and secure in his arms. If you notice what verse 3 says, you have died, your life is hidden with Christ in God. You could not be any more closer to the very heart of God than you are right now in Jesus. Maturity ends, begins and ends in Christ. Look, when I walk across the parking lot at the YMCA. Humble brag, I go to the Y, okay? And when I go there, I take my wonderful but crazy four-year-old, and he's crazy, and he will run wherever he wants, and you know what? I squeeze his hand very tight. He's not going anywhere. He is secure, okay, in my arms. And I am a sinful man, okay? How much more God has you lovingly in his heart? He has you. You are secure. And this morning, I bet some of you are anxious and afraid about the future, you're anxious and insecure about how God feels about you. He has you. I went through a difficult time in my faith with Jesus, as many of you have. I'm sure you can relate. I remember expressing doubts and anger and fear to one of my friends. And you know what he said to me? I'll never forget this. He said, Mike, where else are you going to go right now? Where else are you going to go? God has you. It's the words of Peter, Loom, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. It's Psalm 73. Whom do I have in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. It's Romans 8. 
I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor the present, nor the future, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will separate me from the love that God has for me in Christ. Okay, look, God has you. That is the promise. You can grow in maturity because God has you. You're safe. He's got you. But secondly, what the other promise is, is not just that God has you, but your glory is coming. It's coming. Listen to verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, talking about the second coming, when he returns to this earth, then you also will appear with him in glory. You will. Me. You, plural, the church. Your maturity in Christ is inevitable. It's going to happen. It's just going to be slow. Missionary and theologian Leslie Newbigin says it like this. Growth is a slow, often unspectacular process. But remember this. There is nothing beyond Christ. Nothing greater than Christ. And the task of the Christian is to grow up into him. You are being transformed from one degree of glory to the next in his image. And some of you might be discouraged by your character, by your choices, by things that have happened in your life. And I just want you to remember the promise that God tells you is that he has you and you will, you will become glory. (laughs) Slowly by his spirit, he is transforming you by one degree to another into the image of his son, Jesus. And because of that promise, Paul reiterates a number of times to us. Therefore, seek what is above where Christ is. Set your minds on things above, not on the earth. Paul knows that even though these promises are true, it's so easy for us, instead of finding life in Jesus, we try to find life in other things. Like our vocations, our families, our successes, our sports teams. But when we do that, we're we're losing maturity. We're not going to grow because only Christ can mature us. Now, a 5th century theologian, the North African bishop, St. Augustine, has a great analogy like this. Let's say a woman gets engaged, okay? She gets an engagement ring, and she loves it. Of course she does. It's sparkly, hopefully maybe a little expensive. Um, And she doesn't just love the ring, though, because it's expensive and stunning and sparkly. She loves the ring. Why? Because of what it signifies. It points to someone out there loves her. Someone out there has committed himself to her. Now, what would happen if this woman uh, said, you know what? I kind of just want the ring, you know? pretty satisfied with this. I don't need a man, okay? I I don't need to see him ever again. I'm good with the ring. It would be pretty devastating because what she's doing is she's choosing the gift over the giver. She's choosing a lump of rock over her fiance's love. And this is what Paul says we do to God. We look to greed or money or family or love or lust or gossip as ways to give us life and meaning and value. And what we do is we take God's engagement ring and then we throw him away. And Paul's like, look, those things will never give you life. They will always to point us to God. But instead, Augustine says, what if that engagement ring was lost or stolen? A woman who is mature, who's looking to Jesus for life, would know that she doesn't need the engagement ring to be assured of her fiancé's love, right? Even though she lost the sign, she still has the real thing. It's easy for us to look to other things for life, these gifts from God, these engagement rings from God. It's easy to turn those things into ultimate things. And instead of finding life in Christ, the creator of all things, we try to find life in created things. 
But maturity, Paul is saying, begins when you look beyond the engagement rings of your life to the God who is life. And even if, this is the point, even if God takes some of those engagement rings away from you, you know that he still loves you. The promise is still real. And so Paul, after highlighting these promises of God has you and your glory is coming, and so seek him, he gives us this pattern to follow, this ethic of being a Christian in the world to help us believe these promises and to grow into maturity. And here's the pattern of maturity. Putting off and putting on. Putting off your sin and putting on Christ. This is very clear in verse 9 and 10. Seeing that you have put off the old self and its practices. It's not some generic sin. Paul's very concrete here. Put off the practices of sin, which he just explained in verses 5 through 7. And put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. I mean, you're putting on an image that's going to become like Christ. It's kind of amazing. You're putting God on. It's kind of amazing when you think about it. Putting off and putting on. So first, putting off sin. If you read verses 5 and 7, he says, put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. In verse 7, you once walked in these ways. Verse 8, but you've got to put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. Paul highlights the sins of sex and speech, sins of the body and sins of the mouth. Because these temptations, Paul knows, easily hijack our relationship with Christ and with others, and these sins hinder our maturity and growth. Because here's the thing about sin. Sin takes. That's what sin does. It's a parasite. It finds good things, and it takes life. Sin uses other people for your enjoyment. This word in verse 5 for evil desire, epithumia, means over-desire. It means you want more and more of something. And so to get it, the only way you can get it is you have to take from other people in your life in order to get that desire satisfied. Sin always takes life from other people in order to give you life. But is that really life for you? Of course not. In fact, lust, sexual sin, and gossip are really very similar. Lust and gossip use other people as objects for your pleasure. Um, Scott Sauls, a pastor in Nashville, a part of this denomination, wrote a book called Befriend, and he brings lust and gossip together, and he says, gossip is pornography of the mouth. Just like pornography, it seeks a cheap thrill at someone else's expense while having zero commitment to them. Look, this is the problem. If we look to these things, we will ruin our relationships with God, but with others. And that's why we have to repent. Put off sin is called repentance, to admit we're wrong. And this is hard because repentance feels like a death. In fact, this is exactly what it is. If you notice Paul's language in verse 5, he says, put to death these things, okay? Mortify them, kill them, starve them. The Puritan John Owen says, if you don't kill sin, sin will be killing you. Because sin never takes a break. And Paul is saying, if you want to grow and mature in Christ, you have to kill your sin. You have to be actively fight it. And paradoxically, what it's going to feel like, it's going to feel like you're losing a lot of things. It feels like you're going to lose things when you sin and repent. It's going to be hard. It's going to be a death. Paradoxically, though, Christianity says when you lose, you win. When you lose, you gain. When you die, you actually begin to live. Um, I, I recently was at my, my kid's Rocky Hill field day, okay, Rams, and 
at Rocky Hill, uh, they do a bunch of, you know, field day things. And one of them is a race 50 yards baton relay race. And so three boys line up on one side, three boys line up on the other. And they, one races down, you hand the baton over and you race back, right? Well, my son's in fourth grade, and you know fourth grade boys are competitive, want to win. But the thing is, is that on their class and on their team, they have someone with special needs. And the teacher told them, hey, I know you want to win, but so that this boy feels like he's a part of field day. Okay, he's going to race. He's going to carry that baton. And you know what? Y'all are probably going to lose. But he's going to feel like he's a part of it. Well, the first couple of boys ran, and you know what? They were tied for first place. And then the boy, because he's differently abled, got the baton. And so because he can't run as fast, he slowly, but with a smile on his face, made his way down those 50 yards. And you know what? They lost. <laughs> when he got to the next guy, they were in last place. And they lost that race. But, but they actually won. You know what I mean? Like they lost, but they actually won. Because that boy was a part of something. In God's kingdom maturity is going to feel like you're losing. But losing actually means you're winning, you're gaining. Sexual sin can give you a lot of pleasure, and to give it up feels like you're going to be losing something. But listen, you're gaining Christ. Your anger can make you feel like you have control, and people are afraid of you, and you get compliance, and things happen the way you want it because of your anger. And to have to kill your anger and your malice is going to feel like you're losing that control. But you know what? You're gaining Christ. And gossip, talking about people behind their backs feels fun, okay? There's this rush of energy. A lot of friendships are based on talking bad about other people behind their backs. Did you see that backsplash she put in her kitchen, okay? And to not, to not do that kind of gossip with a friend could be awkward. And you're like, hey, let's not talk about that. And you feel like you could be losing the intimacy with a friend. Or that they think you're judging them because you're not going to gossip with them. But, but really, you're gaining Christ. You're growing in maturity. Putting off, killing sin, repenting is going to feel like a death. But listen to me, that's where life is found. That's where Christ is. And so the putting off negatively sin, but the pattern also involves putting on Christ. If you look at verse 10, again, put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator, there's no Greek or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, but Christ is all. It's amazing. It's amazing. Here's the metaphor. Imagine a player from Alabama transfers to Tennessee, because I don't know why he's doing that, but he's doing it, right? And when he does that, because of the new transfer rules, he can play right away. He can take off his Alabama and that ugly crimson red right away and put on, he doesn't have to wait a year, immediately he puts on that bright Tennessee orange. You know why? Because he doesn't play for Alabama anymore. He plays for Tennessee. And now it feels like 98. Here's the deal. When you put on Christ, you don't play for Minnesota or Boston or USA, right? You play, or Minnesota or Boston, you play for the USA. When you become a Christian, you don't play for yourself anymore. You don't play for your sins. You belong to Christ. You play for him. You put him on and so practically, I want to finish with some practical ways that this looks like to put Christ on and then finish with a, with a story. Verses 12 through 17 talks about what does it mean to put on Christ. Verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Side note, you want to know what God thinks of you? That's what he thinks of you. He chose you. He thinks you're holy and you're beloved. 
That's what he thinks of you. This is what he says to put on, compassion and kindness. So listen, when you have compassion and kindness for your mother-in-law, who is a widow, and she's getting up there in years, and she's living by herself, and she needs help with her iPhone and iPad, and you spend hours with her every week trying to get her to understand how the cloud works, okay? You're putting on Christ. You're putting on Christ. I'm serious. You are growing in maturity. And then he says, put on humility, meekness, and patience. Look, when you're a parent of young children and they ask you the same question for the 20th time, you have to ask them again to brush their teeth, get ready for bed, put their laundry away, or when they make a big mess with Honey Nut Cheerios and they waste all of your almond milk all over the floor, instead of flying into a rage and yelling at them because you know it'll get what you want, you exercise patience and humility when you speak to them. I know that feels like nothing. You're putting on Christ in that moment. You're growing in maturity. Verse 13, bear with one another. Bear with one another. When your friend has a tragedy in their life and they have lost a loved one, or they have lost a job, and you don't know what to say, and all you do is sit with them, and you bring them flowers or a beer, and you sit with them and you bear the burden of their grief with them, you're putting on Christ. You're growing right in that moment in maturity. Verse 13, if anyone has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other. Forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. When you've been sinned against by someone and you have fantasies of murdering them in a lot of variety of ways in your head, some of you have told me that you do that, um, and instead of doing that and indulging those fantasies, instead of nursing resentment and bitterness, you don't slander or gossip or hate them in your heart, you actually ask Jesus to help you. <laughs> Lord, help me forgive them, because you forgave me. And it feels like a death, doesn't it? But you're putting on Christ. You're growing in maturity. Two more, and then we'll close. Verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Gently rebuking one another. When you gently confront a friend, or a child of their sin, and you move towards them in truth and love and invite them to honesty and holiness, it's awkward and it's hard and you hope they don't get mad at you. I understand that. But gently confronting people in love is putting on Christ. You're growing in maturity. Then lastly, thankfulness. Y'all, verse 15, first of all, I love verse 15 because he just goes, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you indeed were called in one body. Oh, and be thankful. <laughs> I love it. He's like, and be thankful. Like, you Colossians are not thankful, okay? You need to be thankful. Verse 16 has it. Verse 17 has thankfulness. And when you choose to thank God for the engagement rings in your life, for your friendships, for your vocation, for your intellect, for your body, to thank him for his love instead of comparing yourself to others and what you don't have, when you choose to be grateful instead of grumbling, I know it feels like nothing, but y'all, you're putting on Christ putting on Christ. You're maturing. And Paul says it's inevitable. You will become like Christ. He is your life, and you will appear with him in glory. And so this morning, I want to invite you that God has you. Your life is hidden and secure in his love, and your glory is coming. Jesus really did die for your sins. He really did die to give you life, and his, your sin was put on him so that you could take your sin off. Your sin was put on him so that you could put Christ on. So Seek Christ who is above in the heavens. 
Put off your sin and put on Christ, okay? That's the invitation to maturity. Let me close with this. In 2003, y'all know this. It's famous story of Aaron Ralston. He was hiking and climbing in a series of canyons in eastern Utah. Uh, He hadn't told anyone where he was going. He went by himself, and he was descending into Slot Canyon. And an 800-pound boulder dislodged and slammed his arm and his hand into the rock. And for four days, he rationed his meager supplies of food and water tried different ways of dislodging his hand, knowing if he could just get it out, he'd be safe. But if he didn't, he was going to die there. He eventually considered amputating his own arm, but the only tool he had was this, like, blunt, multi-tool knife. You know what it is. And uh, some initial attempts of trying that convinced him it wasn't going to work. Well, on the morning of the fifth day, he was delirious, exhausted, and he made his final desperate move. Because he knew the bone would not cut through his forearm, he yanked his arm so hard to break it. And by breaking it, he began to use a small, dull knife to cut through his arm. And what he realized is his arm was actually already dying and decomposing. It was actually already dead. And so he actually cut through it a little easier than he thought. And he waited to cut his major arteries till the very end. He took a uh, camelback rope, did it as a tourniquet, and cut his arm completely off. Bleeding in agony, dehydrated, and starved. We're almost at the end there, sorry. Um... He was able, with one arm, to rappel down a 65-foot sheer-facing cliff and hike the six miles back to where he parked, where he ran into a family, called emergency helicopter. He got help. Four hours after he had amputated his own arm, he had lost 40 pounds in those five days and lost 25% of his blood. But he was alive, and he got to see his wife again. You see, our fight against sin is you either kill the thing that is killing you or it will kill you. Aaron Ralston realized if he didn't kill his arm, his situation would kill him. And by losing his arm, he gained his life. This is the promise and the pattern of maturity. You might lose some things, and it feels like a death, but you gain Jesus, who is your life. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. Let me pray. God, thank you for this invitation to maturity. It's a hard word. It's not an easy thing to hear always. We're all aware of the ways in which sin in our life manifests itself in relationships and practices that take from others and hurt others. And yet also, Lord, uh, because your spirit is in us, you you promise us that we will grow into maturity, that sin will be no more, and we will become the people that you've always called us to be, perfect, holy, chosen, and beloved. And I pray, Lord, as a church and as a people, that as we continue to follow you, that we would trust in your promises, and that we would put off our sin and put on Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.